Welcome to IT Visionaries, created by The Mission, your number one source for accelerated learning. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Ian chats with Dion Hinchcliffe, Vice President and Analyst at Constellation Research. In this episode, Dion shares his thoughts on leading digital transformation in organizations, the value of low-code tools, and some of his best tips for building your IT team. We hope you enjoy the episode. IT Visionaries is brought to you by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. The Lightning Platform is a leading cloud platform that makes building AI-powered apps faster and easier. With Salesforce, now everyone is empowered to build apps for their organization. Learn more at salesforce.com slash build apps. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. Today, we are joined by our special guest, Diane. How's it going? Uh, it's going great. Uh, thanks for having me. So you have a really interesting background with a blend of being a CTO and doing consulting and research. We kind of wanted to talk about all of those things, your background, about what the future of mobile holds. You've written a ton. You've been a, a editor-in-chief, so you, you've seen over the years technology change and I uh, would love to love to get into it. Sure, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I came up from the on the customer side of things. So I know what it's like to be in the trenches. And my practice has always really been about the kind of big picture thinking enterprise architecture. So I'm still a pra practicing enterprise architect. Uh, I've developed numerous systems in financial services, insurance, uh, even the military. And been the CTO of a couple of uh, startups, one which went public, and as well as I now spend a lot of time working on the other side, which is you know the, the analyst side, trying to understand where the industry is going. Uh, and I advise a lot of CIOs and IT leaders, uh, digital leaders actually now they don't really often even have a have a title uh, like we've traditionally seen. And uh, yeah, it's been been an exciting time, but it's really helped me having that, that big picture view, understanding you know what it's like to have to deliver for the business. And now you know, analyzing the industry on the other end. So, what is the new C-suite like? You you've uh, you use that terminology at Constellation Research. Like, what what does that kind of entail as we're going forward? Yeah, we're seeing a new breed of digital leader emerging. And by digital leader, it doesn't necessarily mean a, you know a, a CIO level. It could be somebody working at a startup. It could be you know somebody like uh, Jeff Bezos or Mark Zuckerberg who been very successful at taking a vision and turning it into a enormous digital success ecosystems that take over the world essentially. So what does that mindset consist of? How is it different than, than leaders we've seen before? Because we do see this new mindset as much more of a growth mindset than just the, you know, the cost center that it was traditionally looked at as you know, taking a bit of a backseat, automating the business, but not being the business. And the new C-suite also is much more collaborative and focuses on engaging broad, more broadly with the organization to drive change in the business and to lead change from the front uh, and saying, this is where we could go. This is where technology is going to take this business. And that, that really wasn't present in you know, that digital leadership wasn't present uh, in a lot of even CIOs and certainly not in other roles. And now we see in 2019, for example, the CEO is going to be leading digital transformation far and away above uh, even the CIO, right? So I think it's 40% versus uh, 22%. If you look at the latest data, so that's a big change. It requires new leaders that are much more digitally qualified, much more digitally experienced and willing to, to make the kind of major bets with the organization's future to drive things forward. So 
uses that filter. And I've written, if you look for, I have a, uh, an article talking about the new C-suite and what the mindset actually consists of at a detailed level from our research. But we, we inaugurate every year a list of those digital leaders that kind of exude those, that mentality, that culture, that leadership. Uh, it's called the Business Transformation 150. And we've done this twice now. These are, these are folks that have recently done these things, uh, exhibited this kind of leadership, use emerging technology very effectively to drive forward the business and, and some major initiative or, or project, and done so recently. And so that's, that, that's kind of creating a poster children, showing the world what these new C-suite leaders look like. I love that kind of idea. And we'll link up the article on the new C-suite uh, in our show notes. But it's kind of these hybrid skills. Like talk about and, and dive into that. What was the quote that, or the uh, the data that you just said, the 22% number? Um, yeah, it used to be that, that, that digital transformation was, was the number one role leading it was the CIO. Sometimes it was the CMO too, right? And the CEO kind of had equal market share, if you will, for the transformation inside the organization. Now it's for next year, most people, most organizations are reporting that CEOs are really going to be driving that. You know, the, oh, CEO, wow. the CEO is in charge of driving the vision forward for where the company is going to go. And the CIO, that's not really their job. You know, they've, they've had to do it, but uh, they're not necessarily the one that says we should go into these new markets and we should create these new digital projects and services. Doesn't mean that some haven't been doing it. Some have very successfully done that. But it's really the CEO is in charge of the future direction of the business. And now that they're now that this has become a you know a top five agenda for most organizations, a top five issue in terms of corporate priority, the CEO is really taking up the reins there. So you wrote an article about the six trends affecting the innovation-led CIO. Can you kind of go into that a little bit and and like how you how you kind of developed these ideas and how these you know, CIO responsibilities are going to be totally different in 2019? So um, I'm very fortunate to spend a lot of time with CIOs around the world uh, in the different roles. And I stay in contact regularly with my network of, of CIOs that I work with. And of course, the, the, the business transformation 150 as well. But a lot of the data I got was from a survey I did, CIO a survey I conducted last year that I reached out to what I believe the top 50 CIOs are and asked them, you know, continue to to kind of to, uh, to nudge them until they answered my questions, which was what they're <laughs> going to be facing, right? And yeah. you know these are from the top brands, but not more than that. They were also had done something, done things extraordinary that were typical of what we what we see in these new sweet sweet leaders. And I asked them, "What are you facing?" And what was it was really interesting when they came back was one, they are unequivocally facing a battle, enormous pressure to move quicker. Ninety four percent of them said either under strong or very strong pressure to move more quickly. And that's because the marketplace is moving faster than it ever has, and it continues to move faster. But we don't. But our organizations really only develop; they only they only change it linearly, and there's it's creating this enormous gap. And so what we see is these new C-suite leaders are doing things to accelerate change in their organization because they're under tremendous pressure. And one of the other questions they ask is, "Well, who is it from?" And it is from everybody. It's from customers. It's from shareholders. It's from the board. It's from their C-suite peers. It's from their workers. They're, they're, they're saying, we, we have to do more. We have to do it faster. Everything we're doing has to get a lot easier. We need to automate a lot more. We need to apply these new technologies like artificial intelligence and, and big data analytics to accelerate decision-making and, and planning and execution operations and things like that. So that's where we see that when you see that the enormous level of, of change that's being demanded by all of these, by everyone surrounding the CIO, that's what we know that, that things have to change. Right. So 
And the reason I picked uh, leading CIOs in my survey is because they're, they're the ones that are experiencing today what the rest of us are going to experience tomorrow, right? So there are, there are still some sleepy organizations out there that don't have that tremendous pressure on them, but that's that's really like public sector. They were the only people, in fact, in the survey, right, that said, that said no, I'm not really under a lot of pressure because their eyes flitted from market forces. Everyone else said, we're just getting pushed to the wall. I mean, what are some of those best, those kind of best practices or those like leading efforts from those 50 folks that they're doing, that they're separating from their peers? Yeah. So there's a, a couple of key patterns that have emerged, uh, not just in the survey, but I've seen more broadly in, in conversations and the data that I've collected elsewhere as well. One is that we realize now that you can't drive change everywhere you might want to in the organization. And what we learned is to fast forward past what we call the blockers, the people or parts of the organization that are either unable or unwilling to, to go in this new direction, right? As, as the, old, the, old, the old joke is everyone puts their hands up when they say, do you want change? But when you ask that same audience, do you want, do you want to change? The hands go down, right? It's just hard work, right? And so the, the technique that we're seeing now, the approach is, is fast forwarding past those, those areas of the organization that are, not, that are unable, unprepared, unwilling, and move to the change agents in the organization that, that want the change, right? Tend to, tend to be, but not always younger workers, they tend to be up and comers. They see everything that's happening in the marketplace and they're, they're translating it to what should be happening inside the organization. And they, go, they can see it's not happening and they want to drive it. They're excited. I see the opportunity for us and I want to do it. Whereas we used to call it, encourage executives to cultivate change champions. But person, an agent is somebody who actually makes it happen. A change agent makes that change happen. And so we see these change agents programs becoming very popular. Uh, and there's a lot of talk this year, not just by myself, about the CIO becoming the influencer. Being the influencer is the most important role now to get these people in, in different parts of the organization who are ready to go, ready, ready to drive this change, right? So you go, to, you go to wherever you have change that's ready to happen and you empower it, you, you cultivate it, you give them resources and guardrails and and say, go, go make it happen, and we're fully behind you, right? And they use their own local budget and expertise and own teams to help you get it done. And this creates a, a lot more capacity for change because that's really important because IT budgets are not, are not growing very fast, yet the demands are, are on that IT department are growing much faster, which is why it's so important to automate. And I, I'm on record saying by 2025, 90% of what you're doing now as a CIO has to be automated. Just tread water just to do what you're doing to, to maintain your headcount, right? And that's like the ticking take it that, yeah. we, that we always talk about is uh, the ticket taking portion of the business, you know, is, is I mean, you said 90, but it's got to be the 80, 20, right? It's like it, it used to be 80% of what IT leaders are doing and it needs to be, you know, less than 20%. Yeah, as you're saying, that, 10%. order taking has got to be completely automated and that can be done. I mean, a lot of organizations are already getting close to that, the building service catalogs. They have uh, you know chatbots that you can talk to to say, hey, I need an application to do X, and they go, well, we have three applications in the catalog that will do that. You know, do you need more consultation, or do you want to try those? You know, and then so you know things like that. We're very close to being able to do that, and certainly all that's either in the lab or heading to market right now by you know, many providers. But getting back to your question, so one is we now have a more effective way of finding change agency in the organization capacity to drive change. And then the other piece is we learn not to do it all ourselves. Traditional IT from 20 years ago is, you know, we, we kind of build everything and we'll buy some things when it, it's not differentiating to the business, but we're going to build it all ourselves. And you can't do that anymore. 
you know, I think we're going to talk about mobile in a few minutes. The mobile story is so big just by itself. Mobile device management is so complicated. Security issues are so big. And the, these, the mobile stacks are so advanced and sophisticated that IT just hasn't, even after all these years, acquired the skills to develop the solutions that can take advantage of the amazing sensors and capabilities inside these devices. Same thing with opening up our data sets and, and innovating on top of them, which is really important. We have to do that. So, you know, we see, if we, if we look at market leaders, you look at like an Apple or a Salesforce. There's, they realized long ago, they can't do it by themselves. Uh, so Apple has the app store. It says, you know, we have all the things our phone does, plus a million things that the million apps in our app store does on top of that. And Apple gets paid whether or not you use Apple's features on the phone or you're buying applications from, from all those folks. And Salesforce has app exchange as well. It does the same thing. You know, it has I think, over 5,000 different applications. That, again, Salesforce can generate revenue. It adds value to the platform, yet the risk for that development, the cost for that development, the time, the hiring, all that stuff didn't have to happen. Salesforce and Apple didn't have to get involved in that hardly at all, other than to enable external innovation, right? Letting the network help you build out what you have, your business. And that's a foreign concept still to a lot of organizations, and those are the ones likely not to survive. And just to wrap this up, we are seeing some traditional organizations act able to do this. So Citibank had a famous hackathon where they realized they're way behind on mobile, that mobile banking was the future, yet they only had your standard boring account access and, and you know, a few cap capabilities to you know, get a mortgage and things like that. And they realized people wanted a lot more from their financial services. So they had a hackathon, 102 applications came out, a few of them really knocked it out of the park, and it got them in a very short period of time, right? They had a hackathon over a few weeks, got 102 applications developed, picked a few that were really amazing and, and showed the possibility of what Citibank could do. And, and that cost them almost nothing to develop, right? It was all using resources and time and ideas out there, right? So that's the other approach we see. Winners tend to use the strengths of the network to be able to do those types of high growth activities that are actually much lower cost than trying to do it any other way. Yeah, I mean, we talked to Sidir Sura at, BMC software and they had, a, he was like, we, there's no way we're going to meet the demand as an IT organization. Like we have, we have no, unless we hire, you know, unless we double our staff, unless we triple our staff, there's no way we're going to meet the demand. So they, they steered into citizen development and, and build capacity amongst their citizen developers. The low code is another way of not having to do it all yourself. And I see that, I see that too. I, I was talking to a CIO earlier this year that said there, there's a eight times productivity gains off their teams by using low-code tools. So, I mean, I, I've, I've actually covered many other ways and we don't have, we have time to go over all of them, but there, there are numerous capabilities and approaches that now can give you that acceleration if you're looking for it. Yeah. And uh, I mean, with mobile, I mean, shouldn't we be looking for this? Like, it's funny as a user, and I, I hate the word user, but as, as someone who is constantly on their phone, it, it's so common sense now as someone who's using it every single day that as an employee, everything needs to have a mobile app that you can use on the go for all of our employees. For our customers, we want to be able to provide mobile experiences. Like what are you seeing from that, from IT leaders on both of those sides? Because one of the things, you know, we had a CIO roundtable the other day with the CIOs of, of Box and Okta, Mark Settle and Paul Chapman. And... Yeah, 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 yeah. Paul's the man. They both are. And and we were talking about this idea that both of them spend a significant portion of their time with the customers. 
And then the other percentage of time, they're figuring out ways to innovate internally to empower employees, right? Like how, I mean, how different is that? And how do you kind of build mobile experiences for both of those people? Because they're going to be using a mobile experience. You know, you talk about shadow IT. They're going to be using a mobile experience anyway, no matter what. I mean, yeah, the, the, the mobile uh, shadow IT problem is profound because of what you just described. And the vision of the CIOs have is the right one. They want to provide that mobile enablement. They just can't. I mean, this is one of the biggest shortfalls in enterprise IT today is the mobile experience. The, the enterprises never figured out a way of addressing mobile at the speed that, of which the business wants to adopt it. There's, there is clear demand in the business for, for mobile enablement across the board. The data shows that most businesses have rolled out just a handful of applications that are designed to support the business. They're usually related to like field service and things like that, right? Timesheets not getting your work done, right? And, and, and not the line of business applications. And uh, that is a big miss. And it, it, there's a variety of reasons for that. I, I mentioned mobile device management. It sounds like a boring topic, but there is no good way to manage mobile devices effectively and sideload app, uh, applications on them in a consistent global way. And it's been a long-standing problem, but that's only part of it. The other thing is IT hasn't been investing heavily. You know, there was a great uh, front page of the Wall Street Journal article about when GM realized that they were badly behind in mobile and needed to catch up. And so they are of the size that they can make that investment. They hired 8,000 mobile programmers in short order, right? 8,000? Yes. You know, like oh GM hired 8,000 mobile programmers. You can and you'll find the Wall Street Journal article. And so they're trying to staff into the problem, right? And so they're one of the few that can do that. Most organizations can't, but that's what it takes. If you've been building up the giant IT organization and suddenly the entire world shifts and mobile becomes a big part of the of the, the IT experience, you should be allocating a, a requisite portion of your IT resources over to the mobile side. That never happened. And in most organizations, right? It's it's like the person, it's, uh, I used to use this analogy all the time where if you look at like where the industry is going to go, if you're not at a minimum allocating your budget for the percentage of people that are using blank, like if you know, if we predict that, you know, 85% of people are going to be using mobile on a daily basis compared to 15% desktop or something like that, you should probably have 85% of your budget. Or and, more and the reason allocated. it didn't happen is that, is that, yeah, let's say 30% of your item needs to be allocated to mobile. You can't shift it over because the old stuff still has to work too. What you really need to have to do is go and ask for 30% more budget. But let me tell you what's going to happen. The answer is going to come back no. And, and IT is forced to say, well, we have that experience, just not in the form factor you want. Go use the responsive interface or go use your laptop if you need to do that, right? And so you get to the situation where you have this good enough IT. And IT has kind of long since become demoralized. They're like, I can't give everyone everything they want anyway, right? So why should we try? Right? Let's, just do, let's do the good enough IT. Because we are not seeing the IT budget being grown to the proportion that the enterprise is digitizing, right? So technology spending in the enterprise is skyrocketing. IT spending is growing by, you know, 2 to 4% a year. So you do the math. What's happening? And lines of business are, are buying lots of technology and, and, and sponsoring lots of hiring outsourcers and sponsoring projects and, and paying for software as a service. And at this point, IT is about 50% of the IT budget, you know, the actual IT department. In, in the average organization. IT is becoming pushed into core, basically core IT and edge IT is being everything else. And it's kind of becoming a self-service free-for-all. 
do you so if you had if we were to ma- wave the magic wand and you're you're back to being a you know a CTO or CIO or CXO you get to pick your title maybe all three we could we could it could be the uh, we could put all three together and create a new word but you're you're that that C level for a new organization how do you build your IT team like what would be the way that you would look at maybe percentage wise for people in house outsourcing you know, citizen development, things like that. What would you kind of cobble together for your ideal, you know, scenario? So it's a great question. And I get asked that one a lot. So how would you do it now? Right. And I, I've thought about it. And the answer uh, is out there. It's, you know, we can look to certain organizations that have started to do that. And, and the, the issue we've discovered is one, our organizations are designed for the industrial age, right? So we have these specialization of functions. We have marketing, we have then sales, and then operations and delivery, then customer service, and then product research and innovation, right? And the customer gets thrown over the wall to each one of those. And each function has developed its own IT. Like I can't tell you how many times I see customer-facing IT or market-facing IT is then duplicated. A new, another system does the same thing as then done for internal-facing IT. You know, we had an interview in the past where it was like a CTO saying, well, I'm the CTO, I build for external, and then our CIO builds for internal. And it's like separation of church and state for that organization. The marketing department now spends about the same on technology as the, as the CIO, right? Then you have the chief digital officer who is building another uh, fiefdom. So those are the wrong organizing constructs. What the most important function in, the, in any business is customer experience. We have a series of silos that customer experience is kind of artificially laid across and then the customer gets thrown over the wall and you have this, what we call this 50 first dates problem. Depending on which touch point and which function you're in, you have to explain who you are all over again. And then they have to learn all about you, even though the company already knows all about you. But it's in another system, right? That you're not, that's not connected with that touch point. And you know, the bigger the company, the more likely this has to happen. There's been an explosion in customer engagement tools. So I would design, if I was coming and said, we're going to do this right, I would say, I'm going to design a one function called customer experience. And it handles the customer from end to end. And all the systems talk to each other. And they're part of the same architecture and they're part of the same process, same function, right? And you can have a chief customer officer run that. Then there is the employee experience. That's the other main you know, big value stream inside the organization where all the employees do the work. And that experience has to be really good or the customer experience is bad. But there's, there's an, that's another process that the customer doesn't necessarily have to see. So it can be run by another, another function. So that can be the, the chief employee officer. And then you've got the chief supply officer who, who's going to do the supplier experience. And that's all the back end. That's all the engagement you have to do pacing out the back of your organization to all your partner suppliers and so on. And that that's a, a separate one. And we're not seeing the industry focusing much there. That's just, that revolution just happening. The first two are well underway. They're big. We're seeing people understand that I have to redesign around this, uh, but it's going to take us a decade or two to change our organizations in this model. A decade or two? That's what they're saying? No, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, because it's not the technology that has to change. That's easy. You know how easy it is to roll out technology today? You know, you get your Kubernetes and you get your containers and, and you fire up your Amazon cloud that can scale to a million users with the push of a button. That stuff's easy. And the reason mobile didn't happen is because of the, te- and the enterprise, it's not because of the technology. The reason mobile didn't happen is because of the people. Changing the structure of our organizations. I don't th- think you're going to see like five years from now in the Wall Street Journal saying hey, half of companies have organized around the customer experience. I'd be very surprised. So are you saying that you don't think the market will 
adjust for a 10 to 20 year time horizon? Or are you saying, are you going I don't think to they'll be forced into it? Those organizations that don't, there's such an advantage to organizing around customer experience because that's the biggest discriminator. If you look at the, what's the biggest factor versus whether you make money or not, it's your customer experience and how much the uh, customer experience leaders. So there are companies that track this customer experience leaders greatly outperform the market uh, average, right? And customer experience laggards, uh, these are usually companies insulated from change or regulated or whatever. And they can't be put out of business. I think cable companies, airlines have terrible customer experiences, right? And they've greatly underperformed the market. The data is out there. Everyone knows this. And so the companies that organize around customer experience, as that's the organizing principle for IT and for the business. They're going to have a market advantage and they're going to push the other players out. So it's going to happen by, you know, it's going to happen through creative destruction of during that process, that realization of the next 10, maybe I hope it's 10, but maybe 20 years. That's remarkable. I mean, it's really fascinating to me to think about those things in such broad time horizons when everything moves so quickly, but it's well, like you- Well, the technology is outpacing and it's making new things possible, right? That we weren't possible a year ago, suddenly possible or much easier today. And we, we end up, we, we try to figure out how do we absorb them? We create now centers of excellence as a model that's very popular to say, okay, we need an analytics center of excellence because analytics has to be in everything now, but we don't have the teams that actually can drive, do that, do that and drive consistency and common platform and best practices across the organization. So now we create all of those. I've been in organizations where they have 12 centers of excellence trying to digest whatever whatever flavors of emerging technology that they're, they're grappling with to, to get a competitive edge, right? Do you think those people are empowered to be able to do their you know their best work on that stuff? I mean, are those centers of excellence actually- They're not sufficiently. Uh, so I, I proposed a counter model called, not a counter model, a more supercharged model is a better way of putting it called the network of excellence because usually a coe is consists of five to 12 people that's 20 on the outside and they're supposed to change a 400,000 person organization not going to happen so we you need to wire it differently more deeply and more collaboratively across the organization i build a few of these now yeah it, you know, so we're again looking for new models for all this we don't have a good metabolism to bring in emerging tech this fast my list of emerging tech like double in size every year it's untenable for many of these organizations, the way they're organized today, but they could organize differently. I love that idea of good metabolism. That's great. Have you written about that? Yes, I have. If you search for my name and metabolism, you'll see. I love I talk that. a lot about how we have to reorganize IT. So I'll definitely, I'll, I'll send you a few links to include in, the, in this piece. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely share those. And uh, I hadn't I hadn't seen anything on the metabolism stuff. That's That's just such a great analogy. Switching gears here a little bit, you're very active on Twitter, and this is something that a lot of the CIOs, IT leaders, CTOs that we talk to, I think are a little apprehensive and don't necessarily know the uh, the power that it wields, and also the, uh, you know, at times the long, long rope that it gives you to potentially have a pitfall. How do you use Twitter, and uh, has it been helpful for you? Uh, it's been very helpful for me. It's basically how you build a, a professional community around yourself, right? So there's other social media, but nothing is as, as horizontal as Twitter, right? So, you know, you can talk to the president of the United States if you so choose to on Twitter or Elon Musk, right? Directly, no no filter, no in between you. He may not say anything back, but, you know, the message will be received. And it's amazing how that connects you to it. So there are great CIOs out there that are connected that I have a list of several hundred CIOs on Twitter. And every walk of life, and everyone always says, well, corporate comm tells me not to do it. 
or I've got, you know, I've got to get my, my things approved or whatever. But even in financial services and healthcare, I see a lot of, a lot of CIOs on Twitter. Uh, Ted Colbert, CIO of Boeing, is a really good Twitter user. I like what he does. And, and the point being is that, you know, we're all now have to be that influencer that I talked about earlier on, is that uh, we have to, to provide the ideas that we think are, are going to drive forward our organizations and our industry. And if you want to have a, a career, it's the easiest way to kind of build that community around you. Otherwise, it's a lot of work, and most CIOs don't have the time. Twitter is extremely time efficient. It is time boxed, and there's only 280 characters, so you can't, you can't fiddle away your time. So it's a very effective way to build an audience around you, a community of your peers around you. There's a great CIO chat. That's the hashtag run by Miles Sewer. It's turned into this amazing thing. The CIOs come from all, all walks of life, all industries, companies big and small, and we talk every week about the issues in the CIO community. And it's that cross-pollination doesn't happen nearly enough, and it's too, it's too hard. But with these very easy-to-use platforms like Twitter, that's really changing. And, and the CIOs that don't take advantage of it are at a disadvantage because they're not getting access to the latest ideas. They're not getting credit for their own ideas because they're not getting them out there in circulation. And they're just missing you know, very rewarding relationships that result from it. So I do encourage it. And, and there are hundreds of CIOs out there doing it. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think, you know, for me, it's the, you know, and the way that we use it is, is, you know, actually a news feed of influencers. You know, I've, I've heard this adage before that uh, Facebook is the people that you know that you learn to not like, and Twitter is people you don't know that you learn to like. There's there's a lot of, uh, you know, you got to separate the wheat from the chaff, and there's a lot of craziness on Twitter. But I think as a, as a like, B2B tool and as a thought leadership tool, it's just remarkable that you get to have access to all of these really smart people's thoughts in a, in a concise way. So we highly recommend it here on the IT Visionaries podcast. Let's get into the lightning round and ask you some questions and then we'll let you get out of here. I know you're a very busy person, you know, and also we'll encourage our listeners to use hashtag CIO chat to get in on, uh, on that conversation that you were talking about on Twitter. Lightning round, fast and easy questions, fast and easy, just like the lightning platform by Salesforce. So are you ready? I'm ready. Number one, what app are you using on your phone that is the most fun? Oh, that is the most fun. I would have to say Bitmoji. Very popular. Oh, yes. Yeah, easily the most fun. That really makes makes virtual communication a lot, a lot more interesting. It's just fun. I encourage everyone to try it out. You know, I think that, gosh, I, I always do this, on, but it's just so we get such good answers from our guests on some of this stuff, but uh, I love Bitmoji. And I think that there's not enough said about how much GIFs and Bitmojis and those two things specifically, how well we can use them to communicate things to each other in like a playful, fun way. And uh, there needs to be a lot more of that stuff. Oh yeah, no, this one's going to write a book about how to take all these new tools. But again, it's happening so fast. You know, there's the iMessage app that has its own app store now, but there's hundreds of these applications that can accelerate communication in all kinds of quite startling and unexpected ways. So I encourage everyone to look at that, but it's just, it's, you know, too much going on for, for us to even track sometimes. We interviewed the guy who created ShopBot for eBay, saying that the most interesting takeaway from the bot is how many people use emojis to message bots. I wouldn't have thought hardly anybody, but, that, but it makes sense. I mean, that's so I, I get... Humans use them so much now that I, I think it's become part of the language. Okay, what's your favorite time-saving tool? X.ai. That's an um, artificial intelligence assistant for scheduling meetings. 
you've probably seen, you know, scheduled meetings and everyone's always asked, well, can you shoot over a couple of slots when you're free over the next couple of days? And you send it over and they go, well, all right, none of those work for me. Do you have more? And, and you end up exchanging endless email messages trying to find spots in everyone's calendar. Well, X.AI watches all your calendars, like so your personal and your professional, whatever else you have, does all the scheduling, gets you completely out of the loop. You give it the parameters on how you want it to schedule meetings and when and, and how many slots a day. Uh, and I just, when someone says set up a meeting, I just say, here, talk to Amy. That's the name of the bot. Amy Ingram. Yeah, Amy Ingram. Oh, I love it. I was pretty early to X.AI. I found out about it like two years ago or whatever. It was, it was pretty early. Yeah, it wasn't very good back then, but it has gotten quite good. Yeah, it turns out these things learn. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that answers my next question. What's your favorite use of AI or chatbots that you've seen recently? I've seen some amazing demos of chatbots. The one I, I've seen is, uh, I, I, I can't reveal the name of the company. It's an IT service management tool that allows what I said is someone's looking for an application and it can either find an application in the organization that will meet your needs or suggest one that meets the guidelines of the company that we don't, maybe that they don't have yet to be, if you want to go out and pay for that at SAS, you can do that. And really does that whole consultative process, a lot of it to the extent that a lot of the time humans never have to get involved. And, and now you're now IT scene is being useful and providing tools and solving problems. And so or I expect you'll see that in the BMC and, and ServiceNow and all of those. I know they're working on all that stuff right now. Favorite podcast or recent book? Recent book. I just got Unlearn by the uh, the guy that wrote the, the original, the, the big breakout lean enterprise book. So I, I would, uh, I'd recommend that one. That is we have to unlearn and relearn so many things now to be able to, to, to keep up. It's the, again, the humans that are the, the impediment to a lot of change. Yeah. I, uh, is that Barry O'Reilly? Yeah, very. Thank you. Favorite content or show that you're watching? I was really surprised that you're talking about any content. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yellowstone with, with Kevin Costner. It's a it's a over the top TV series, TV western that really kind of takes all these a lot of the trends we talked about here, changes you know collisions and of you know tech change and societal change with traditional ways of life. I encourage people to look at that. It's, it's enormously entertaining. What technology? are you most excited about for the future? These little tiny screens we have in our pockets are, is just an interim step, right? Uh, people will laugh and go, you, you actually, you were squinting at these little tiny things. You know, well, all technology becomes really good because when it becomes nearly invisible and things like virtual reality and augmented reality are, are going to become seamless within a five to 10 year time frame and create true, give us truly immersive experiences. And it's going to change everything that we're doing in customer experience is going to have almost thrown out the window because we, it needs to be seamlessly integrated into these systems that deliver that, you know, you, you'd be able to sub, summon any bot, you know, you summon the Nike bot right, in, right into your field of vision, uh, overlaid right into the room you're sitting in and ask them to show you the new shoes and to measure your feet while you're doing it and all of this kinds of stuff. But those are the, that's coming very soon, sooner than most people think. I just got the new Oculus Go, $179. Yeah absolutely shows how the progression is there. The first one that doesn't require your phone or a computer, it's totally standalone and it's mass market price. And that's, and it just shows this, the promise just kind of some of the apps in there are unbelievable. Most people are not even tracking this, but they're selling, it's selling like hotcakes. So uh, the user experience is truly immersive user experience is going to create a future we can only barely imagine right now. Well, I was thinking about with AirPods are just like crushing right now. I think they're the best-selling Apple device I'm ever. Not, I'm using them right now to do yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're they're amazing. But like this is Gen One, right? I think they just came out with Gen Two. But 
But like this is Gen One, right? Yeah, and everyone's everyone's waiting. They want the one with the wireless charging case. No, I totally agree. And and again, it makes it it makes the technology almost disappear, right? So you don't worry about the wires and the tangles, and it is something now. You've got this audio connection to your device. It's so easy to use. But when that's like, you know, it's the same thing as like we put phones in our pockets that were phones and now we have phones in our pockets that are computers with a screen. It's like, what is going to be, you know, the AirPod 10, right? The AirPod X, right? Like, what is that thing going to be that's connected to your face that can project, you know, whatever it is out in front of you or or those sort of things? I couldn't agree. It's just so all exciting. That, all that's coming. And so uh, with it, as we become, become closer and more connected with our machines, there's going to be a lot of debates about the ethics of all this. Uh, I, I was participating in an event last last week with Tim Berners-Lee and uh, Vince Cerf about, you know, so there, there's a lot of ethical issues that are, come up when these devices which can hear and know everything about us, you know, how, do, how we use that wisely. So we have, some, we have some issues there to also deal with, but I think that's very manageable. Best advice for a first-time CIO? You got 100 days before you're part of the problem again, right? You need to ask for what you need to get a running start for that. So never take a senior you know, CIO role without making sure you've been very clear about what it's going to take to succeed. And then you've got about 100 days to make the big changes before, again, you're, you're become part of the part of the existing regime. So it's get, you really have to make that splash to have that first successful year. The average CIO only lasts about four years right now. And most of the things you set in place will be early on. So that's what I would advise. Thanks so much. What uh, what questions did I not ask you that, that you wish I had asked? No, you were really good. You, no, I was uh, I was very pleased with how that went. Yeah, absolutely. And and we can find you on Twitter at D Hinchcliffe. That's the best place. Yep. And dianehinchcliffe.com and uh, also my blog at Constellation Research. I love it. And just amazing stuff for our listeners. If you haven't checked out his research and the research that they do, it is some of the best stuff out there. So we highly recommend it. We'll link it up in the show notes. And thanks so much for hanging out. This has been awesome. You bet. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Ian. Thank you again to our friends at Salesforce. IT Visionaries is brought to you by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce, a leading cloud platform that makes building AI-powered apps faster and easier. With Salesforce, now everyone can build apps for their organization. Learn more at salesforce.com slash buildapps.